Well, good morning, church. Snow got you down? All right, good morning, church. These guys let you off the hook, not responding all that well on Sunday mornings. That ends today. Come on. You got your Bible open to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. All right, here we go. Week 6 of our series called Sent. I don't know about you, but some of you have been digging the bumper, and others of you, you're like, finally, this series is over. I am sick and tired of whatever this thing is you guys are doing before uh, we preach each and every Sunday. Sent. Question is, how are you doing with that? We've heard great stories from so many of you about how this series is serving to get you off the starting line and firmly in the race, if you will of evangelism, of sharing the gospel when you otherwise might not have shared it. Quite honestly, there have been some moments uh, over these last couple of weeks as I've sat on the instruction of God's word with you where um, in moments of gospel opportunity when I may have otherwise uh, looked to bail, I heard in my mind, bump, 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 And then what? When I otherwise would have thought to bail, why an obnoxious bumper? Let it be forever branded in our minds. Let it be forever stuck in my head to stay in the race, to get in the game of gospel ministry. Speaking of race, uh, speaking of races, anyone tired of seeing the same motorcycle win every time the bumper's played? I think Pastor Nate brought that up. John David, are you tired of watching the same? You're not. You like that one to win? Fine. You're not helping me at all. (laughs) Number number nine. Number nine. Maybe number nine could win. I think Pastor Nate mentioned last week, wouldn't it be cool if we could like gamify gamify this bumper, which I, I learned this week to never underestimate the gifts and talents that reside and exist inside our church. And so speaking of getting in the game, I actually do need three volunteers this morning. I need three volunteers uh, to come up here and see uh, if you can help us uh, get one of these motorcycles other than the one that always wins to win. So come on, three volunteers, raise your hand. All right, come on, buddy. Yep, right, yep, yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he's, she's pointing. Are you, are you cool? Come on. Come on, Dre, you got this. Anybody else? Clay, you want to come? Yes. It's too, come on, give him a hand. Here we go. All right, guys, here's the deal. So, um, you're you're now fully in the game, all right? So, yeah, line up by height. This is perfect. And uh, what you got here, um, (laughs) ask and you shall receive. This is fantastic. And so what you got here is uh, the number one, the number six, and the number zero. Mr. Dave Calkins actually took our bumper and turned it into a video game. (laughs) This is amazing. All right, so here's the deal. The light's going to go bump, 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 like it does every single, every single week, you know? And then what you're going to do is tap the button as absolutely fast as you can to see if you can get your motorcycle to win. Are you ready? So come on, come on, come on. Put your finger, put your finger on number one. Clay, right there. Put your finger on number six. And Dre, you got zero, zero. Okay. So um, ready, ready, guys? Are we ready? This actually, Pastor Nate's doing this in Myerstown right now, too. So this is really cool. Ready? Go ahead. Come on. Hit it. Start. Go. Awesome, dude. 
Good try. Good try. You guys can have a seat. Things you never thought you were going to come to church and see. But what you just witnessed is the goal. It's that every single one of us would indeed get in the race. That we get in the game. That in our heads, indeed, we would on a regular basis hear the buzzer. Bump, bump, bump. God, if you open the door, I am going to get off the line. I'm going to trust you to give me power and authority to share your gospel. God, I'm going to look to you when these moments arise to give us discernment to seek the call that you're drawing to yourself. You know you don't win the, evangel- you don't win the race of evangelism on your own, right? God's already got the race won. He's just looking for you to be faithful. That's what makes this such an amazing thing. We're looking to God for what? When we see gospel opportunities, we want to get off the line and what? Ask him for wisdom to answer the questions of the curious around us. Anybody have questions? I've got a lot of questions. And sometimes when I don't know the answer to questions, yes, um, your pastors don't have all the answers all the time at their fingertips. I'm just so grateful to know that I can go somewhere and find the answers. We're looking for the Lord to give us compassion so we can serve the crowds. We're looking for the Lord to give us courage to stand when we need to take a stand. And so, friends, we ask the question today, how are you doing at being in the game? How are you doing at running the race that the Lord has put before you? You are loved, you are loved, you are loved. And out of the security of love that you have for the Lord, he sends you, he launches you, he releases you that others can experience the same love that you have experienced. So the question is this, how, how does it rest in your heart right now when we say, like, live sent is like full throttle? All the way in. Let's, as a church, unite together and do the work of evangelism. Um, how's that rest with you? Some of y'all are all fired up. Like, all in? Like, you need a volunteer, you're raising your hand. You need to open your mouth, you're the first one to say what needs to be said. You are fired up and let's go. Others of you, it, it freaks you out just a little bit. Like if I'm honest, Pastor, like I mean, I hear what you're saying. I actually feel a little compelled, but the idea of the whole thing kind of freaks me out. And I know you've been praying for opportunities, and actually I've been asking the Lord to keep them at bay for just a little bit longer until I work up the courage to get myself there. Others, others of you are like, you are gripped with fear. You are white-knuckling your seat right now. And you say, if he calls on somebody else, I am going to rip his eyelashes out, right? Why? Why do we have these different responses? First, let me say this. However you feel about this, I want to let you know that it's okay. It's normal for some of you to be all fired up. It's normal for some of us to also feel a little bit intimidated by this idea. And, acts, and actually, guys, it really is 
normal, dare I say normal, like it's not normal, this doesn't sound normal what you're about to say, Pastor. It's actually normal for some of you to be gripped with fear when you think about doing, if you will, the act and the work of evangelism. Why, though? Why? Because in this room, we all have gifts that differ. In this room, we have extroverts who will be happy to talk to inanimate objects and would introduce themselves to the president right now if he walked in the room. Like, you know who you are. We have introverts who literally will, if they go to the restroom, they'd be happy to, if there was a hallway to walk outside and not have to see any other people before you come back into your seat. We know who you are. I try to make sure I greet you <laughs> with a big old smile every morning just to get you out of your comfort zone each Sunday. We have introverts, we have extroverts, we have ambiverts who reside somewhere in between introverted and extroverted. Listen, you've been uniquely, intricately, wonderfully, and fearfully made. God has gifted you to be who you are. Ought we be stretched out of our comfort zone? Yes. But this entire series has not been a guilt mission for you to carry with you here forward. Let us release you of that. You see, if we're not careful, here's what happens. We begin to look at the track of evangelism as being very narrow. We begin to look at it as being for primary the bold and the loud and dare I say, even sometimes obnoxious. We begin to think that the only person who can really fulfill evangelism as the pastor brings it to you is the guy who raises his hand and is really bold and is willing to play the game in front of the entire church. But somehow in your mind, you have this picture of that's who you need to be to be used by the Lord in sharing the gospel. Somehow you have to be, you can only be prophetic and competitive and unafraid and confrontational in order to be faithful. Well, here's the deal. The Bible is abundantly clear. There are those who have the gift of evangelism. There are those who uniquely are empowered by God to be bold and somewhat prophetic. And again, they have a lot of the attributes that we oftentimes uh, kind of put forward in the work of evangelism. Indeed, they are uniquely gifted by God. But also understand this today. We are all called, though, to do the work of an evangelist. We're all called to do the work of, an evangel of evangelism. There are those who are uniquely gifted to be bold in doing so. But all of us have been uniquely gifted by God in your own way to be effective in sharing the gospel. You all have gifts that differ. And today I would, I'm praying that you would feel empowered to lean into who the Lord has called you to be because when you express your giftedness, God's glory can be seen in you. Here's what I want you to catch today. As the Father sent me, so am I sending you. Every disciple sent. Every one of you in this room is sent. We're all in the race of evangelism. When Jesus Christ said, go ye therefore into all the world, when he said go, that meant you. That meant me. Teach them to observe all that I commanded. That means that command was passed down to us. We are all called to go. We're all called into the race of evangelism. We're all called to live sent. And here's the deal. The finish line in this race is absolutely the same for each and every one of us. When we have the opportunity to share the gospel, what is the goal? 
as simply as I can define it for you, at the goal is ABC. At the goal is what? Is that the person whom the Lord has placed in front of you ultimately would be able to see and then admit that they are a sinner that needs a savior. It's not popular necessarily in our world today, but yet you look around and everybody can identify and see that something is wrong. Sin is not as foreign of a concept as we think it might be to the world. It's not far-fetched for even the average person to see how they contribute to the sinfulness of the world. Don't buy the lie. The majority of people know they're sinners. The majority of people know they've lied. They know they've cheated. And if they're honest with themselves, they know they've stolen it. And somewhere along the line, they have heard that there is a holy God, right? And so what's at the finish line of evangelism? That we would admit that we are sinners. That's not as far away as we think it is. B, that then that person admitting they're a sinner, just like you did, would believe, believe that a holy God sent his son to earth to die on the cross for that sinfulness. But through the shedding of his blood, he took our place on the cross. He died our death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. A, admit that I'm a sinner. B, look into your Bible and believe and see that Jesus is the Savior who died for your sin upon the cross. And now the letter C, confess. For if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ came and died and rose from the grave, the scripture says, you shall be saved. We're all called into the race. We're all sent. The destination is the same. Sinners who admit it and believe in Jesus and confess their faith and desire for Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. But here's the deal. The pathway that the Lord uses you to get there will look different for everyone. We all have gifts that differ. And when you lean into who you are, God's going to use your giftedness to open doors to share the gospel. Come on, Jerry, you got some Bible verses for this? I better. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. When you were saved, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. When you were saved, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Why do I mention that? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it says this Holy Spirit gave you a gift. You've been entrusted with a spiritual gift that motivates you in how you are to serve God now. What are these gifts? Romans chapter 12. Listen to this. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. You're all different. We all are different. So though we are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You know, if you were to read previous to this, it would, say, it would use the body illustration. You'd be like, hey, if we were all an eye, how would we hear? And if we were all an ear, how would we see? And if we're, right? We're all different. Gifts. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, come on, let us be bold in our faith. If service, let us serve. If teaching, let us teach. 
The one who exhorts, let him exhort. The one who contributes, let him do it with generosity. And the one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, let him be merciful with full cheerfulness. And so what does it look like? Those who have a prophetic gift, they are especially concerned about right and wrong. These are your typical bold out front. Repent! You know anyone like that? I think Pastor Nate last week said when he came to Jesus, he was very concerned that people saw their sinfulness. If you're a prophet, come on, you'll be bold. If you're a servant, what? You'll serve like Jesus and you'll be hands-on. You're going to look for ways to serve people. People will notice. It's going to open a door where you can share why you love to serve. If you're an exhorter, you're going to encourage. You're going to speak words of encouragement. You're going to lift people's countenances. They're going to look and realize there's something different about you. Other people have given them feedback in the past. Other people have paid them compliments in the past, but they were hollow. But somehow when you speak, there's a uniqueness and authenticity and integrity in the way that you approach people. It's, it's, it's not normal. No, it's a gift. And they want to know why is your encouragement different than other people's? If you're a giver, you're going to be generous. You're going to look for ways to contribute your time, your talents, and your treasures to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to find ways to contribute to causes that are going to advance the gospel. You're going to be generous in your daily life. You're going to pay for someone's coffee in line in front of you. And they're going to look at you weird and wonder why you did that. You're going to say, have a blessed day. But that's not sharing the full gospel, Jerry. Some plant Others water, but God provides the increase. Do you know how evangelistic it is to be yourself? Like the full version that God created you to be? The prophet, the servant, the exhorter, the giver, the leader. Let's go. Rally the troops. Let's get it done. I'm done talking about it. Let's roll, right? This guy, this gal is like, we're going to do something today or no? Pastor, you're you going you to end this sermon sometime so we can actually go do this stuff? Like the leader's going to rally the troops, and he's going to get out, and he's going to find ways to put fantasy football leagues together and invite unbelievers into the deal so they can get on a text group and they can see how some people interact and how other people don't have to drop the four-letter words to have a good time. This is how this stuff works. This is the work that you're called to do. Mercy. The mercy-motivated person is going to be the first on the scene to hold the hand and allow the love of Jesus to pour out of you. And you're like, Pastor, is that all that evangelism is? No, I told you. We're all sent. But there is a race in which we are running where we are interacting with people and allowing the gospel to shine through us. And everywhere along the way, we're saying, God, are you calling this person to yourself? Are you calling this person to yourself? What curiosities do they have? How can I serve them? Because the moment is going to come. Sometimes it's the first conversation. Sometimes it's the hundredth conversation. But we don't lose heart. And we don't give up. But we seek to live life with integrity. Evangelism is not a project. Nor a test that you take and score on. 
Evangelism, friends, is living inside your full giftedness so that the glory of God could shine through you. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. And how does that glory come out? By you expressing the gift that he has entrusted to you. Let the glory of God shine through you. Matthew chapter 5. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let the glory of the Spirit of God shine through you. Why? So 1 Peter Peter chapter 3, verse 15. When somebody sees the difference, what are they going to do? They're going to ask for an answer about the hope that is in you. And so what are we doing? What was this series about? It was about helping us to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks that we can give a reason for the hope that is in us. Do you see it, friends? Living sent, living sent is about showing Christ. Living sent is about showing Christ. It's about allowing the Lord's glory to shine through us. Let me say it again, that the doors of gospel opportunity might be opened. And in the text today, that's exactly what we are going to see. We're going to see that Jesus continuing on his equipping of the disciples, his next step of equipping is this, see my glory. For when you see my glory, you will be captivated. And when you are captivated by my glory, then you will be compelled to go and share my glory with everyone with whom you come in contact with. This is our outline today. We've been called to live sent and show Christ, which means two things must be true. We must be captivated by God's glory and then compelled to be sent by his glory. Let's take a look at the text, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're in verse 28. As you remember, verses 1 and 2, Jesus then called the 12 together, gave them power and authority. He sent them out to proclaim the gospel of God and to heal. Verse 28 now. Now about eight days after these sayings. Eight days after these sayings. Eight days after what sayings? Remember Pastor Nate's message last week? Remember, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Some say this, some say that. And then the big question, remember the big question, who do you say that I am? So it's eight days after that happened. Eight days after Peter said, well, you are the Christ of God, verse 20. It's eight days after this saying, verse 22, when Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. It was eight days after that. It was eight days after Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Eight days, a full week. These statements have to be rumbling around in their hearts and minds as Jesus pulls them away. It was also eight days after this sentence as well, this statement, verse 27, but I tell you the truth, there are some standing here, there are some standing here there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So eight days after all that goes down, Jesus continues his training of the 12 by pulling three away. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now verse 29. And as he was praying, the appearing of his face was altered. 
and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Hyphen. Peter says this, not knowing what he said. And, he was saying these, and as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid. And as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice spoke, had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. God's glory, it captivates us. God's glory, it compels us. So here it is. You want to live sent? You want to show God's glory? First thing is this. Come on, let Jesus' glory captivate you. Let Jesus' glory captivate you. Let's stand in him. Verse 28, Peter pulls, Jesus pulls, pardon me, Peter, James, and John away. Why? Well, this is the second of three occasions where what I, who I'm going to call the inner three get to go away with Jesus for some special training. The first is Luke chapter 8, just a chapter before, verse 51. You're going to go back, you could go back and read this. Jesus invites Peter, James, and John into this inner bedroom, if you will, where this man named Jairus, Jairus, who comes to Jesus, asks for him to heal his daughter, who's actually died. And Jesus invites these three into that room, and they get to be present when Jesus breathes life, if you will, back into this girl's frame. The second is here. This is, as you know, what's coming, the transfiguration. The third is going to be in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is going to invite these three into a more secluded part of the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to ask them to stay awake and to pray with him and to be with him. You see, there's no doubt that these three are being uniquely equipped by Jesus. And as the New Testament unfolds, you're going to see that these three are going to play a very intricate role, integral role in the unfolding of the church. What's the point? Jesus uniquely equips those he calls. Jesus uniquely equips those he calls. And he will equip you to the proportion that he calls you. Jesus equips those he's called. If you're freaked out by doing the work of gospel ministry and evangelism, hear this again. Jesus is going to equip those whom he sends, and he's going to equip you to the extent to which he's going to use you. You're going to find yourself in deep waters wondering if you can actually tread water long enough to keep your head afloat. Trust me, if you find yourself in waters, they are the exact depth where God wants you in the work of ministry. To whom much is given, Luke 12, 48, much will be asked. Friends, think about all that Peter, James, and John are going to be asked to do. Think what's going to be asked of them. In addition to leading and planting churches, what else? All three are going to witness Jesus' death. You think this moment's going to help them through that? 
All three are going to be arrested themselves. All three are going to be persecuted and ultimately martyred. All three, this moment, is going to prepare them for the unique work that God has to call them, that he's called them to. Peter the bull with the keys to the kingdom of God ultimately is going to be crucified upside down. James, the pastor leader in Jerusalem, ultimately he, he will be beheaded. John, the youngest and dearly loved by Jesus, he himself the evangelist, he the one who wrote the gospel of John, that we may know that Jesus is the Christ, will ultimately be exiled on an island left to die. But make no mistake, they were prepared. They were going to pass through the lowest places. Why? Because they were taken to the highest place. Have you? Have you been there? Have you tasted of the glory of God? Have you found yourself captivated in his presence? Have you? Have you found the strength and security of knowing that Jesus Christ has rescued you from your sins? He's pulled you out of normal and he has elevated you into his very glorious presence that you might be equipped to do the work of ministry that he's called you to do. Come on, friends, that's the point. They saw Jesus' glory with their own eyes. There was nothing that they would face. They wouldn't be engulfed by what they were about to experience. Verse 29, Jesus takes these three away. Don't run by this. And as he was praying, and as he was praying, and as he was praying, and as Jesus was praying, why, if Jesus is the Son of God, what in the world is Jesus doing praying? Have you asked yourself this? For God so loved the world. For God the Father so loved the world. Did you ever catch this? He so loved the world that he did what? That he sent Jesus. What is Jesus providing for us? What a beautiful picture of what it looks like to live sent. Friends, I would propose to you that prayer is the spot. It is the intersection. It is the place where living loved and sent meet. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Why did Jesus came? What did he say? I came to do my father's will. And here as we see Jesus modeling what it looks like to live sent, what do we see over and over and over again? We see Jesus elevating the priority of often going to the place of fellowship with his father. When we consider the priority Jesus placed on the fellowship of prayer and the power of prayer, it is laughable to think that we could ever try to live the Christian life without it. Jesus, the Son of God, models for us that if we want to live sent, we want to experience the love of God, if we want to experience the power of God, get on your knees before the Lord and delight in him. Jesus models how prayer is essential to living loved and sent. You want to experience fellowship with God? Pray. You want to know what God's will is for you? Pray. That's what Jesus did.
And so as Jesus is praying, take a look at what happens. What happens as Jesus prays? The shroud, the shroud of flesh. He took on flesh and dwelt among us, right? What happens as Jesus prays? The shroud of flesh gives way to reveal the radiant glory of Trinitarian fellowship. Let me say it again. In this moment, as Jesus prays, the shroud of flesh gives way to reveal the radiant glory of Trinitarian fellowship. Glory. The appearance of his face is altered. His clothing, the scripture says, becomes dazzling white. Is this not reminiscent of Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, when, when, when Moses comes down off the Mount of Sinai? Come on, here's the verse. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware, he wasn't even aware that his face was radiant. Why? Because he had spoken with the Lord. Check this. Jesus is not reflecting the glory of God. Jesus is not reflecting it outwardly off of his countenance. He is the very glory of God. This is not a reflection. This is the unveiling of who Jesus Christ really is. The radiance of Trinitarian glory, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uniting in a moment of radiant Blinding, overwhelming brilliance. And in the midst of this divine light show, two men show up, verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. None other than Moses and Elijah. The full span of the Old Testament standing before him. Moses, the great lawgiver, Elijah, the prophet of all prophets, shows up. These two men are the very bookends of the nation of Israel. Moses, the initiator, if you will, the giver of the law, Elijah, the one who was predicted to come at the day of judgment, the one who was predicted to come, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, just as the physical kingdom of God was about to be ushered in, Elijah was going to appear. What do we have in front of us? There are some before us who will not see death before they lay eyes upon the kingdom of God. What do we have before us? Moses and Elijah, the beginning, and the one who will initiate the coming of it all. Here it is. And what do they do? They're appearing now in glory, the verse says, verse 31. And what are they doing? They're having a convo with Jesus. And what's the topic of this conversation? It's Jesus' departure. Which, by the way, the word for departure here, come on, say wow, is exodon, where we get the word exodus. Say wow. Throw in Moses' departure of the nation out of Egypt. A people indeed were rescued and saved. But in Jesus' departure, will the entire world find release and freedom from the bondage of captivity and sin? As they speak of his departure. As they speak of Jesus' exodus. In essence, you know what they are um, discussing here? 
Come on, those of you who studied along with us in Genesis, the Proto-Evangelium, the Genesis chapter 3.15, they're speaking about the moment when what? The serpent's head will be crushed and a heel will be bruised. They're talking about that which he was sent to do. They're talking about the culmination, the climax of divine history. They're talking about how it all has led to this. They're talking about the gospel. They're talking about the work of salvation. They're talking about what Jesus has lying before him. They're talking about the road. Are they talking about Palm Sunday, palm waves, palm branches waving, tables overturning? They're talking about all that's about to transpire in Jerusalem. What are they talking about? They're talking about a cross. They're talking about a death. They're talking about a burial. They're talking about a resurrection. They're talking about a mission. They're talking about the ascension where Jesus ultimately will ascend into glory and sit at the right hand of the Father. They're talking about his departure. They're talking about the culmination and the initiation of the very spiritual kingdom of God. That's what's up. Meanwhile, what are Peter, James, and John doing, by the way? Meanwhile, meanwhile, look at verse 32. Anyone know the answer? Meanwhile, now Peter and those who were with him were very heavy with sleep. Meanwhile, the very glory of God is radiating the full climactic revelation of the divine glory of God has now been revealed. It's now been discussed by Moses, Elijah, and the Son of God himself. And meanwhile, Peter, James, and John are doing what? Lift up your voice. What are they doing? What are, tell me what they're doing. Tell me. They're sleeping. How in the world are you sleeping through the radiant glory of God? These dudes have got some tripped out version of spiritual narcolepsy. I'm telling you. Every time something really, really, really big happens, they're like, <laughs> oh, oh, something big's gonna happen. <sighs> it gets questions I have for heaven, guys. Like, there's a lot of things I want to ask Peter, but I got to think that one of the top ones on the list is like, what was it like to sleep through, like, the greatest moment of divine history up to that point? Sleeping. Sleeping. How do you sleep through the glorious presence of God? I don't know. Let us count the ways we yawn through glorious moments all the time. Let us count the way we yawn through spiritual occasions all the time. Let us count the moments we've fallen asleep in the proclamation of God's word. We're working on that. 
Let us count the times we've passively sung in worship. Let us count the ways we've heard of the miraculous work of God and we thought to ourselves, man, the medical report must have gotten switched. Let us count the ways that we try to find other ways to explain the miraculous, glorious works of God. We do it regularly. We do it all the time. And we wonder why we lack the power and the authority and the confidence to do what the Lord has called us to do. We sleep through his glorious presence regularly. We got to wake up. It's time to wake up, church. Time is short. The days are evil. The Bible is abundantly clear. It's time to wake up. We've got to open our eyes, lift up our eyes, and see that the fields are white unto harvest. Look at what happens when they open their eyes. Verse 32, look at what they see. When they open their eyes, when they look up, they catch the tail end of this glorious moment. And perhaps it's as it was intended to be. For if they were to see the whole thing, they would have been consumed and overwhelmed in death. For who can gaze upon the full glory of God? And so they arose from their heavy sleep. But when they became fully awake... They saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. They catch the tail end. How do we know? Verse 33, because as the men were parting, as they're leaving, like, whoa, 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 Peter's, whoa, whoa, Jesus, master, this is good. It is good to be here. Let us make, let us, let us put up a few tents for y'all. One for you and one for Moses and one, and one for Elijah. That, well, come on, I, I'm, so, I, I, I'm awake now. Do you ever have that moment of pleading with the Lord? I'm awake now. I'm awake now. I'm sorry I missed all of that, but, I, but I'm awake now. What do we have here? We have Peter completely captivated. He's in the presence of the glory of God, and he doesn't want him to end. He's in this glorious moment of worship. Have you been there? Friends, I long for you to be there. when you're captivated in the glory of God, so much of what you carry with you every day. We'll be consumed by it. It's unclear if Peter truly understood the depth and the profoundness of what he actually said here. Luke provides this commentary. Like, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. He doesn't, even, he, doesn't, he's not, he doesn't know what he's saying. Commentators debate on just what Peter did and didn't know here. But here's the amazing thing. What Peter just declared about setting up tents is incredibly profound. If you, if you do some biblical theology work, you begin to realize that this setting up of tents is actually a really profound and a big deal. You see Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. You want to write that down. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16 does what? It has revealed that at the coming of the kingdom, the festival of booths is going to be celebrated. What do they do at the festival of booths, by the way? They set up tents. The word for tent, tabernacle. They would set up tents. And so what is, what is Peter saying? 
What did Jesus promise? There are some who are standing here who will not die before they see the kingdom of God. And what does Peter open his eyes to? He's like, yo, this is it. This has got to be it. Shall, shall we set up the tents now? Let's do this thing, Jesus. Let's get after it. Peter, here, what has he done? This indeed may be the most clumsiest confirm, confirmation pronouncement that we have in all of Scripture. Peter's offer to pitch tents is a clumsy confirmation of the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that they would see the kingdom of God. Indeed, what stood before them was a glimpse of the spiritual kingdom. But what Peter had forgotten is all that, all that was said eight days prior. That he must go and suffer. What Peter missed was the part of the conversation he slept through that Jesus would first need to go to Jerusalem, suffer on the cross for our sins, be buried and rise three days later and ultimately ascend into heaven. It's abundantly clear, as Luke says here, Peter didn't catch all of that, but yet the Lord uses him to confirm in this moment exactly what it is before us. The, various glory, the very glory of the kingdom of God is res radiating before them. Now this, in a moment of grace, God the Father interrupts Peter. And as they were saying these things, verse 34, a cloud came and shadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son. This is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. As captivating as this moment is, even as these men, these three men are being equipped to live to live sent to the glory of God, even as captivating as this glimpse of divine glory and love is, what is amazing here is that God the Father leverages this moment of affection towards action. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Listen. Listen to him. You captivated by his glory? You now know who he is? You heard and answered well that he is the Messiah? You've now seen a glimpse of the radiant divine glory of Trinitarian fellowship? You now know who he is? If you know who he is, listen to him. Don't just hear his voice. Listen, obey, go, do. This word is all about action. The captivating glory of God will always, will always compel us to go live sent for the glory of God. That's point two. This is my son whom I've chosen. Now obey him. Listen to him. True captivation always comp compels us to act. 
Jesus' glory is compelling. Listen to him. Affection for Jesus always leads to action for Jesus. Love is a verb. The word listen, hear, take heed, obey. What is God declaring? What is God the Father declaring right now? This is my son. He is greater than Moses. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is greater than Elijah. He is the fulfillment of all the prophets spoke of coming. This is my son. He is the one to whom all scriptures point. This is my son. His instruction will bring to light the message of the coming kingdom. This is my son. His teaching and commandments are to be obeyed above all. This is my son. All authority has been given to him. Sound familiar? All authority has been given unto me. So what? Go. You want a picture of the authority with which you go with? You just got it, the transfiguration of God. The very glory of God, the very authority of Jesus Christ. You now know this, you now believe this, go. The Holy Spirit of God resides in you, go. Jesus' glory compels us to go. We long to have God's glory work through us so that we can spread the gospel. Why? That more worshipers might give glory to him. It's not about filling a room. It's not about resources in the coffers. It's about worshipers filling the throne room of God for all of eternity. It's about the glory of God, period. You share the gospel for the glory of God, period. Make no mistake, the glory of God, it is what empowers us for mission. This experience is gonna empower Peter, James, and John to live sent. From this moment on, they are going to protect God's glory and the integrity of the gospel. They're going to serve for God's glory. They're going to protect the integrity of the gospel. They're going to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ will never be adulterated in any way, not for personal gain, not for financial gain, not for political gain. The gospel exists for one purpose, the glory of God. And if you find it leveraged for anything else, may you rebuke whatever stands in front of you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for the glory of God, not for political party. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not for sale. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for the glory of God, period. Redeemed lives are for the glory of God, not for us to feel better about ourselves. Relationships restored are for the glory of God, not just because it looks bad to fight. Children raised and released into missions and the work of ministry is for the glory of God. Not just so that our family name can be engraved somewhere. It's glory. Why do we live sent? It's the glory of God alone. There is nothing more so let there be nothing less that motivates us. 
Glory motivates us to mission. Thus, mission exists for the glory of God. Glory motivates us to mission, which means mission exists for the glory of God. Mission exists for the glory of God. John Piper says it this way. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, the countless millions of the redeemed, when they fall upon their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship? (laughs) Worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It is the goal of missions. Why? Because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. Oh, but worship. But worship is also the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer to God in preaching. The passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You see, you can't commend what you do not cherish. Mission begins and it ends with worship. Amen. And so, friends, the theme for the rest of our ministry year is this. Let us live sent to the glory of God. Let us live sent to the glory of God. May the glory of God compel us to live sent. And because we are sent, may others see the glory of God in us. Why do we live sent? Hear me. Let it not be for guilt. Guilt has been a motivation in church for far too long. Why do we live sent? Let it not be for guilt. Let it not be for obligation. Let it not be for personal ambition, social status, or political gain. Let it be for the captivating cause of the glory of God. Let it be for the rise of resounding echoes of praise. Let us live sent for the flooding of the throne room of heaven with the worshipers of him. Let us live solely for the glorious praise of Jesus. Listen, the goal of evangelism is about more than changing people's destination from heaven to hell or hell to heaven. The goal of evangelism is about much more than changing people's destination from hell to heaven. It's about seeing their devotion to sin be replaced by a delight in Jesus Christ. Listen, listen. When Jesus wanted to motivate his disciples, check out what he did. When Jesus wanted to equip his disciples to live sent here, what did he do? He didn't go show them the flames of hell. That's not what he did. He didn't go show them the flames of hell. Because what's going to happen if you don't do? Is hell a real place? Yes.
what I'm talking about here is what, did, what motivates. What did Jesus reveal? He didn't show them the plains of hell. But neither did he entice them with golden streets and mansions. Neither did he say, look, look at the gold streets. Look at the mansions. I got a wonderful plan for your life. He didn't guilt them with flames, nor did he entice them with golden streets and mansions in heaven. What did he do? He showed them his glory. He showed them his glory. Glory is the motivation of this work that we've been called to do. May it ever be true. May it ever be said of us. Friends, fear of hell does not save you. Hope in heaven alone does not save you. Faith in the glorious Work of Jesus Christ is what saves you. Amen, amen, and forever, amen. We are in Lancaster County. We are in the Bible Belt of the United States of America. And there are a lot of people in this room who came to Jesus because you were afraid of going to hell. That fear did not save you. By God's grace, that fear... gets your attention on that which saves you. Even more dangerous. You want to go to heaven, right? 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 Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? You don't want to go there. You want to go there, right? Oh, well, all you got to do, all you got to do is repeat after me and you can go on with your life and go on with whatever else you want to do for the rest of your days. Really? Come on, friends. The glory of God. You are saved by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For the wages of sin, yes, is death. The wages of sin, yes, is eternal punishment. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, God demonstrated his own love towards you in that while you were still a sinner, Jesus, he sent Jesus And so what do we do? We believe, we believe, we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is the glorious Son of God, that he died in our place. We put our faith and our trust in him. And then, friend, you will be saved. And your life will be radically transformed by the glory of God. You'll be consumed by the glory of God. And so now, friends, is a great time to examine your heart. It's a great time for me to examine my heart. If the fear of hell got your attention, that's as it should. But let us make sure that it 
your faith is in Jesus. If you long for an eternity in heaven, that's as it should be. It is good. But understand, that is a result of the glorious prize of heaven, which is Jesus himself. For the kingdom of God, heaven, the kingdom of God is wherever the king resides, and that's where we long to be. Let us invite others there as well. And so, Father, we come. And Lord, in this moment, we pause to look at our own hearts. Father, right now, I would just pray by the work of your Holy Spirit that you would move in us to truly examine what it is, Lord God, that we are trusting in for our salvation. Father, brand this into our minds and hearts today. Fear does not save us. Hope alone and some coming destination is not what saves us. Father, we, we declare today to you that it is our faith in the person and the work of your Son alone that saves us. Friend, right now, wherever you are, you can declare to the Lord. If you've done it before, even do it again as an act of worship. Just say, Lord, today I admit that I am a sinner. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe. Believe. Believe the wage of sin is death, but, but, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Tell the Lord you believe. Tell him that you are resting your salvation in the faith, in the belief, in the trust, in the work of his son, Jesus. Tell him. Confess that you long to live for him that you long to allow his glory to shine through you that others would see it as well. Come on, friends. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Even if you've been around religious things for a real long time, today you can know that you know that you know that you once were trusting in the wrong thing. Now, put your faith in Jesus alone. Father, we thank you for your work. We thank you for your grace. We're captivated by your glory. May we be compelled now to live in the fullness of who you've created us to be. Lord God, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. May he shine through each and every one of us now as we go, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.